This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Moderating the session today is Terry Calder, so thank you and take it away. Hi everyone, thanks for coming to this session. Um, I'd like to um, begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And um, on behalf of the panel, I, we pay our respects to Elders past and present and emerging. Um, I just also want to mention before we begin, I think if you've all been to the other sessions, you know that there's the app that you can ask questions through. We'll have time for questions at the end, but please fire off questions um, as they come to mind through the app. So we've really, filmmakers um, have been making social impact films, documentary films, uh, since, since the beginning of making documentary films, really, in order to, you know, get a get a message out um, and to create create change but I think what has significantly changed in the last five to ten years um, is this community of practice that's developed around um, documentary films and social impact campaigns and there's a whole structure around that and it has particularly been turbo both turbo boosted in the last four years by Good Pitch Australia, um, and actually, I just want to also acknowledge. So, ten years ago, DAF Documentary Australia Foundation started, and that you know was set up to provide fiscal sponsorship between philanthropy, uh, philanthropists, and filmmakers. And that was started by Ian Darling, who then also sort of had the brainwave through going to a session internationally on Good Pitch to bring Good Pitch to Australia here, which will then you know has has um, now evolved into this new Shark Island Institute. So Melinda Wink, who we have here on my left, is the executive director of Good Pitch. Um, And she's also a consultant for international Good Pitches and has worked in uh, Southeast Asia and Colombia and Miami advising filmmakers through the Good Pitch process there. And I'll introduce the rest of the panel. Stephen Oliver, who is um, a really talented filmmaker who is also um, just... I see, how long have you been at the ABC? And that's just, just over a year, year and a half nearly. Ah, oh, it feels like just yesterday. I know. It's going so Stephen's a commissioning editor of Documentary um, and he's going to be talking on the panel today a bit about um, War on Waste, which was a hugely successful social impact campaign run within the ABC uh, last year. And Brendan Shoebridge is uh, also a very talented independent filmmaker who's made an incredible um, grassroots campaign film called The Bentley Effect, which we'll talk about. And Alex Kelly, um, who you've seen starring in the trailer, is um, a really experienced um, impact producer and filmmaker who thinks very deeply about these issues. He has, she had a Winston Churchill Fellowship on impact um, and has worked on big international campaigns like Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything, and also as a filmmaker making some incredible films. And she's got a film coming up called The... The Islands of Hungry Ghosts, which, you know, you should all stay tuned for. So we'll start with with Melinda. So Good Pitch Australia has been phenomenally successful. Um, the funding and partnerships that have been forged, I think we've raised over $14 million for 19 feature documentaries in the three years that Good Pitch was running, which is, you know, an incredible contribution to the sector. But not only that the amazing partnerships that, you know, you've driven um, and established and the incredible advice um, and support that you've given filmmakers through this through this process. I know having been an impact producer on a couple of those films, I was just felt so privileged to, to be a part of that and, and meet all you and, and work with you. Um, what are some of the key learnings that have evolved the way you approach impact campaigns from mm-hmm. you know the beginnings where you've seen films come through to to now sure thanks terry um well i guess 2013 the big learning that i had was that a glass of wine or even a bottle can change your life and uh, i had come back from columbia where i was living at the time and i met up with ian darling who i used to work with um back in 2008 when i was running his um, foundation caledonia foundation 
And uh, we um, we caught up, and I um, we had a uh, we ordered a bottle of wine. And over the first wine, I'm like, you know, what's going on? What's interesting? And uh, he said, oh, there's this thing I saw, good pitch. Um, and he started telling me about it. And but as the wine bottle kind of <laughs> progressively got drunk, I'm like, that sounds awesome. I want to come back. I'm going to run it. Um, let's do it. And uh, so by the next day, I felt a bit dusty, and I called him and said, look. Um, I, I really want to do this. I think um, it sounds really special and amazing. And uh, if you would would back it, um, I reckon we could try and pull this off. Um, what was interesting at the time was that, um, of course, Documentary Australia Foundation had been established in 2008 and had laid the groundwork for philanthropy to invest in documentary film. And um, when they started off, there was a lot of philanthropists who wouldn't invest in film because they had specific exclusions around it, not including it in it as an art form. Um, and certainly we also knew that a lot of philanthropists were a bit... Um, careful or cautious about funding advocacy. And of course, the thing that we were proposing was to use documentary as a tool for advocacy. And so you can imagine my first year of Good Pitch, um, I was first of all trying to um, convince filmmakers that they should do this crazy thing called um, film, using their film for impact campaigns. And thankfully, Alex had done a whole bunch of that work <laughs> to uh, spread the, the message about that. Thank you. Um, so we leaned heavily on your existing work in the field in Australia, um, but also to convince um, partners um, who'd never worked with film um, to use it as a, as a tool for advocacy. Um, we went in, we selected seven films. Um, some of them were unknown filmmakers at the time, relatively, um, with films like Gaby Baby and um, Maya Newell. Um, Frackman with um, Richard Todd, um, Holly Pfeiffer with the film called The Opposition, um, Zach Ceremony with Aaron and Sarah, um, and Damon Gamo also with that sugar film. And uh, we, you know, they're all, um, some of them were almost shot, um, some of them were still really early stage, um, and we were, I was basically knocking on doors and trying to use all charm and beguile people to back this thing called Film and Impact. Because our, our big, um, uh, I guess, theory of change was that if you surround a film with, um, first of all, the storytelling has to be super strong. So you have to surround the film with the people who can help um, take that film from being good to great um, and make it the best thing it can be. If you don't have a story that's compelling, then you've got nothing and people won't watch it. Um, so we put a lot of time and effort into ensuring that our filmmakers are supported in the creative process as well. But the second thing was that it, a film for it to have impact will always do best if it has diverse stakeholders. And some of those stakeholders won't be people who um, have ever really worked together, um, even though they might represent different parts of the puzzle in the, the film and impact space. So, um, like, Frackman as an example, um, we had a CWA woman who's this incredible leader in her community sitting across the road at a table at Good Pitch um, from an investment banker who also had an, um, an interest in coal seam gas. Likewise, an environment across the, um, the table from a farmer. Um, Bob Brown, Alan Jones, and that kind of diversity of all the, of those people and the different power base they have, the networks that um, they have access to, the, the knowledge or expertise, or certainly the funding that different partners can bring, together makes those films and the impact campaigns quite powerful. And in the absence of that diversity, I think you've got something that's not as strong and uh, certainly won't take some of the, the tests um, that might be imposed on those particular films. And so, you know, we just had the dark PR session with um, the opposition and that diversity of partnership um, behind the opposition was actually one of the things that helped them to um, respond to um, some of the threats against them, to um, properly actually um, work out the risks and to, in that session that we had down in Kangaroo Valley, like just that diversity of brains and the trust that we had um, was so incredible for ensuring that we were already prepared for when the fight came. So too with Gaby Baby, where the, um, the film was banned um, in the um, New South Wales, um, by the New South Wales government. That diversity of partnership meant we had voices not just from the left, but also all the way through the political spectrum who were speaking in support of that film. 
Um, and we also had people who were taking that film to different places. So the, diver the diversity around that particular film was um, Primary Principles Association who wanted to use the film for professional development so that um, people knew that um, teachers were equipped to actually have age-appropriate conversations about the diversity of family in the Australian context. Um, we had, um, obviously, campaigners who were working on marriage equality who used that film to take it into entirely different spaces as a tool for advocacy around marriage equality and also adoption equality. Um, other advocates, um, like youth advocates, took it into schools um, with the Wear It Purple Day, which was actually the thing that sparked the ban. Um, but certainly that diversity um, of partnership is a big um, thing and a big lesson. Like, it was our theory at the time, but it was certainly a big lesson that, indeed, that's um, the thing that adds value and strength to the campaigns that we run. I guess the, the biggest thing of all, though, um, is to really be um, sure of what you're trying to achieve and the audiences that you want to speak to when you have your films and you're intending to have an impact campaign around them. Um, I always feel sorry for the filmmakers when they reach this point in the process where they feel that incredible <laughs> burden of responsibility to change everything and change everything about the space mm. and to fix the problem at large. And they, you know, they're beautiful people and they feel that responsibility so deeply. And um, it's almost to, to unburden themselves of that, especially um, in the creative process is so important um, and to understand that you're only one part of the solution. Um, Sugar, for example, I can see Anna up there, like you didn't have to pretend to answer all the questions about sugar and its health impacts, but you could start the conversation so a different conversation could take place. Um, or um, even though the sugar film was much more targeted at families and they were very sure about that particular audience and the way they um, um, used the message for that audience, um, it obviously then resonated to totally di different and distinctive groups um, because it was so true to its message and who it wanted to speak to. Mm, and I guess also because these films often sit within the context of a social movement that is already working on these issues that you don't have to do it alone and that's the that is the strength in those partnerships of mm. being able to give the film over to them to actually you yeah. know do a lot of the work and use the film as the tool yeah um yeah so do you think with the the next the next film the next slate of films that are yet to launch um did you want to mention any of those yeah. films and some of those um approaches? so in the end um after that first year a good pitch um, we decided to do it again for another two years in a row. And so we have 19 films in our portfolio and, of course, not all of them are finished. We took a break last year and I did do some work overseas mm. just to share the learnings um, from the Australian context. Um, but we have Guilty coming out um, on the death penalty campaign, which is on the ABC um, in April. Um, we also have one called Ghost Hunter, mm. Happy Sad Man coming out this year and Dying to Live, which is um, Toddy's next film. So we're, um, the, we really try to um, work with our filmmakers um, all the way through production and also the impact campaigns to support them. Mm. It's every stage of the journey, it brings its own stresses and challenges um, and opportunities. And you know, we also take a lot of joy in the work that we do. Um, and without it, I, wouldn't, I couldn't bear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's so, such great people that um, are in our community of um, mentors and support and also the filmmakers. Mm. And uh, just a question on, on funding, because Good Pitch did sort of um, put so much funding right. into that space of the $14 million over yeah. three years is huge. Do you think that now that you've finished up Good Pitch that, that, um, that the philanthropic community will continue to support... Impact. Support impact. I mean, I know they, they do through DAF, but not in the way that... Not in could, the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly, like, a, in our first year, we raised $2.4 million um, for the seven projects that we supported in the mm. portfolio. Um, that grew to 3.6 in the second year, and by the third year, it was $7 million. Um, and partly it was the thanks to the, the work and the um, proof of concept from the, the first group that went through. It gave people confidence in the style of work um, and to start actually changing their own strategy philanthropically to fund and back advocacy and to back filmmakers um, as, a, as a big piece of that advocacy. Mm. 
Um, so, Mel, I'm just wondering, actually, because I'm just looking, gosh, we're moving, moving very quickly. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about this new um, new yeah. initiative and how, yeah. um, I suppose, good the team behind Good Pictures is now running these, the Shark Island Institute and, and this new labs initiative? Yeah. So we remain quite committed to um, supporting documentary in Australia and um, we realised by the end of Good Pitch we were going further and further into the development phase in order to find the projects and teams who wanted to do the work um, that like, of social impact docs and uh, so we're investing in these um, what we're calling the Shark Island Labs and uh, um, which have already opened for applications. Oops, I meant to use this, aren't I? Ding! Um, and the Shark Island Labs are about finding five um, projects in their early stage and actually backing the development and pipeline of new story ideas um, with potential for social impact strategies to emerge from that. The labs themselves are much more about the story development um, and we notice that by the end of Good Pitch, like if you pitch an early stage project and kind of burden people with having also to run an impact campaign while they're still developing up their ideas and story, um, it's just too much and so we wanted to have almost a protected um, uh, lab where we uh, or space where those documentary ideas could be formed up and also have um, room to fail and change and to um, to do what's necessary in the creative process um, and so um, that's what the the labs are for it's still for feature documentaries um, we're looking um, for films that don't necessarily have marketplace attachment or EPs um, attached. Um, we're happy for film teams to come to us um, as they are rather than having to kind of um, patch together um, partnerships too soon in the process before they really know what project they have on their hands or who they'd really like to work with. Um, I think people should do that in a really considered and thoughtful way. Um, and because often there are relationships you have for five, six, seven, if not longer, years. Um, and we're, we're looking for a broad um, thematic base across the Australian um, context um, that represents the diversity of um, the kind of issues and, that we're facing as a country. Uh, cool. Um, the labs, actually, Christy, if you'd like to wave. <laughs> Christy is running the labs. But they basically involve two residential story labs down in Kangaroo Valley where we run all our workshops. Um, there'll be both international and local mentors um, with ongoing support from the, the, our team um, to help you in the, um, the process of making your film and also up to 25000 in development finance. And so will you um, eventually seek to perhaps executive produce a couple of these films? Um, or some of them? Well, it's, I mean, what we really want to do is just develop up um, the stories and, you know, <coughs> what we do next with those <laughs> depends yeah. on, you know, all the IP stays with the team. Um, we, we just want to empower filmmakers and creatives to um, do the work that they love and to do it and to have power um, when they're having, uh, rather than having to make decisions over um, in desperations in the creation of their team or creation of, of signing marketplace agreements to really have figured out what what project they have and what story they want to tell um, before they go and speak to someone like Steve with um, with a, a full fully thought through proposition. Actually that's a nice segue, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> so you know television's you know really so good pictures primarily focuses on feature documentaries and you know television's able to uh, mobilize this mass audience in the way that sometimes cinema obviously cinema documentaries and feature documentaries can't unless they're broadcast um, on television. But the ABC's always commissioned programming that engages a national conversation to spark change, I guess. But um, War on Waste, which was an extraordinary success for the ABC, has um, mo mobilised the nation to change their behaviour around waste um, and activated them to take on big, big business and government to do something about it. Um, and I guess this pan-ABC approach is also not new. I mean, there's been the um, mental ads approach and uh, pan-ABC approach across, across your channels um, in domestic violence and various other areas. But to me, it feels like War on Waste um, really has taken the broadcaster into new territory in the way that it engages 
with social impact campaigns. And do, do you think that's true to say? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, War and Waste was, has been a great success for us and we're really excited about it. I mean, it's been a brilliant project to work on. It's just, you know, it's worked so well. Um, because the ABC is a, is a place that actually has a huge reach. You know, it has radio stations all over the whole country. It has, you know, multi-platform offerings. Has, we did a podcast with War and Waste. We did, I mean, the, re- the people inside the ABC that got behind the show. It just, it, I think... Waste is an issue that we all, every week, we put our bins out and every day we throw things out. So I think, I think it's an issue that every single one of us can relate to. I think a lot of, the, um, of these impact films are often about particular issues that certain people are really passionate about, but not everybody can relate to. And what I think was good about Waste is that we all throw things out all the time. So That's every- great. Sorry, I was just being cheeky. All right. <laughs> we all throw things out all the time. It's great. We throw things out. So just creating that realisation of where does it go and what happens is, um, was, was really important. So, um, so yeah, I think um, the way that we, we, you know, we got Craig Rucastle to host it, I mean, it, you know, it was a format, so we have to acknowledge that it was made in the UK, but we totally Australianised it and, and made the stories very specific to Australian audiences which you know and our stories are different to the UK so it was a format but we kind of did it our own way and we Craig was a great host because he's a comedian who's actually confronts politicians regularly he's not scared to speak truth to power but he's also funny and energetic and he personally really gives a shit about the subject and you could really tell that so that engaging passion from him was also really good but it, it we kind of focused on one campaign per episode and because we had three apps as well that that the, the tv offering was three one hours but then beyond that we had all the local radio all over we had radio national doing their own radio national did a huge clothes swap for example in the foyer of the abc with 500 people came down to swap clothes it was like the whole foyer was taken over so there were these all, all of these other pushes from all parts of the building, all parts of the organisation, sorry, not just Ultimo. It was, really was a pan-ABC across Australia um, kind of initiative. And everyone just got behind it because I often talk about this thing where, of, of there being a low barrier to entry. We, we, you know, it was... You could just... People just got a, a reusable coffee cup and then they felt they were part of it and then they were part of a community and then that conversation was sparked in their local cafe mm-hmm. and then they could say to the cafe we could become part of responsible cafes which was an organization we partnered with to give people a discount when they bring their own cup and then you're having a conversation with your barista and your cafe owner and the person in the queue and then the next day they're bringing one so it was a really small easy thing to do but you then felt part of a community and that just spread and it spread and it spread so I think that was um, one of the real things that we were able to do Uh, so I'll just quickly summarise from the first episode the first episode was about food waste uh, and we kind of had a campaign that uh, you know we had a hashtag and a campaign for each episode and that was size doesn't matter it was about cosmetic standards in the second episode was really about plastic bags, so the hashtag was ban the bag, and that has had a huge um, impact across mm. the country. Now every state has banned plastic bags except New South Wales, uh, sadly. But um, Coles and Woolworths have pr- pledged to get rid of banned plastic bags by July this year, 2018, and they weren't doing that before. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that have worked tirelessly in these areas for years and years and years, but what War and Waste did was just turbocharged the issue and we did engage with those organizations and you know we hired an impact producer specifically um, for that someone I knew outside of television who was had years of experience in waste and the issues so um, I managed to get him into the ABC and he um, you know did did um, partnerships with organizations that then just spread and they all have their own huge communities and their own newsletters and their own Facebook groups and their own websites and all the rest of it so that was a really good way that we just got to grassroots communities. So Ban the Bag was a really successful campaign in the second episode. And then the third episode was about fashion waste and, and coffee cups. And, the, you know, BYO coffee cup was the hashtag. And we did that tram stunt where we put the, the amount of coffee cups that are thrown away every half an hour in a tram, 50,000, and, and then went, drove around Melbourne saying, you know, this is, what, this is what it looks like. And they go to landfill because they can't be recycled. So... That also had a big impact. So each episode had its own sort of campaign that the story was, story was about. So 
we got a lot of traction on the BYO Coffee Cup and a lot of traction on the um, Ban the Bag. Interestingly, the, the hardest one to crack in terms of actual real-world impact was the uh, food waste, the size doesn't matter hashtag, which was huge. And we did a version on social media that became the biggest, most shared and viewed uh, ABC Facebook post of all time, shared uh, and watched over 24 million and counting. So that really resonated. You know, we really care about our farmers in Australia. We care about the people that grow our food. So that was the sort of the actual sort of documentary style, you know, meeting the farmer, learning about what their issues are and what those supermarket standards that make all the bananas look the same, what they mean for those farmers. And then so we kind of, you know, explained the issue in that sequence, which is, you know, longer in the episode. And then we created this kind of video, this sort of humorous video that Craig and some of his celebrity friends... It got got involved to sort of launch the size doesn't matter hashtag, which then on the back of telling people the story, we then shared that. And as a result of so many people having watched the story behind why this matters, mm. this video then also went viral. Yeah, so that was then, you know, we used that in the show and obviously across social media and pushed it out on different platforms as a kind of short video to kind of show that size doesn't matter and, and, used, and sort of push that hashtag as well. That was the most difficult um, campaign to actually get traction on. I won't go into the details. It's extraordinarily complicated. But, um, you know, we got, we got um, an interview with the CEO of Woolworths and, um, in the fourth episode. So what we did was we had three episodes and then we did a fourth episode six months later specifically designed to be able to use it almost like a stick or a carrot. Uh, or a banana um, to when we were making the first three to say well we're going to come back in six months time and hold you to that promise or see whether you actually have done anything about it so that was really interesting because you also got to demonstrate what had changed since the first yeah that was the idea to show and and you know because the show really did did really well and 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 mobilized communities we had brilliant sort of stories and follow-up um, feedback from everybody about what had happened. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, the Facebook community groups that, that, that actually sprung up independently in all different councils and different regions was, was really, really overwhelming and, and fantastic. So we were really happy with it. And since that fourth episode, has there been any other major impact achievements from, from that? Uh, yes. I mean, we're, we're, we're commissioning, we've commissioned a second season of war on waste and it you know we kind of explored what, what other issues we should um look at pot- potentially uh for a, a war on thing but we realized there was plenty more stories mm. about waste that we're so we're launching new campaigns yep. on that like um e-waste you know yeah. throwing out your laptops and yep. plastic well, bottles you will be persecuted and demonized next year or at the end of this year if you're seen with a plastic water bottle so get your drink get your reusable <laughs> drinking bottles or buy shares in a reusable drinking water bottle company. That's excellent. Love it. One of <laughs> Good the th- to see, Jane. One of the things I thought was really interesting um, for the ABC in particular is that, um, you know, after during, during the episodes, you would have on screen, you know, if this matters to you, write to your local MP, um, write to Woolworths and Coles. I mean, that's, to me, maybe... Very interesting that the ABC would be playing in that advocacy space as a government-funded broadcaster. Yeah, I mean, you know, that there are editorial policies around, you know, trying to change legislation for a government-funded broadcaster. But the thing about waste is it's not political. It's actually just a genuine issue that is going to make the world better if we actually learn how to, you know, reuse, recycle, reduce... You know, and so um, we decided that, it was, that we could call it out and we could actually campaign for the change that so clearly needs to happen. So, um, yeah, I th- I'm really glad that we, that we did that. And, and because everyone at the ABC was totally behind it, I mean, there's nobody that goes, no, I think we should send more crap to landfill. Yeah, so I mean, you didn't no get any kickback from industry or government about it at all? No, we didn't, yeah. we didn't. Well, they, 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 they were, t- you know, genuinely kind of trying to listen to how... You know, I think the other thing to say about War and Waste quickly, I know we've got to move on quickly, is that it actually was focused... We really specifically quite clearly focused on positive actions that people could take, that we all could make. It wasn't um, a Four Corners-style expose that just points the finger at bad guys and just leaves it to you to be enraged. It actually said, this is what we can do. So we focused it on being a positive call to action to how we can actually all be part of a solution and a better world. 
great. <laughs> on that note, I'm going to move on to our next speaker. Thanks, Stephen. That was really insightful. Um, Brendan Shibridge has made an incredible film called The Bentley Effect, um, which is looking at a community in the northern rivers that took on the coal seam gas industry um, and with a really creative community campaign actually won and booted booted the fracking industry out of the northern rivers, which was a huge <laughs> achievement. And, you know, so many um, environmental issues documentaries are just looking at the problem um, and leave you with, you know, at the end sort of going, oh, okay, well, now I've got it. what can I do? But this was just this great example of actually a good news story of, well, this this was a community that took on the campaign and, and won. And I guess that was probably a lot of magic for you in making that film um, in that you could speak to that. And it's also the power of the impact of that film because communities can use that, um, I suppose, as, as fuel and inspiration and how to run a campaign. Um, did you want to speak to that? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, we, we all love it when the when the good guys win, of course. So, um, yeah, it was a real, a real sort of a treat for me. Um, we, you know, I mean, there, like you say, there's a lot of films out there that, that sort of document the, the problem, but we, we were sort of able to offer an answer and, and sort of show what success looks like, you know. Um, and we, we had a, a whole of community response, you know, to, the, to that threat of um, unconventional gas. And so, you know, we were able to show, um, you know, these really conservative um, landowners um, becoming radical, you know, and, and standing alongside really deep green activists and, and everyone in between. Like, it was, it was literally everybody. So, um, yeah, it was an amazing thing to, to live through, you know. And, you know, the other thing I was really trying to show is, um, you know, it doesn't have to be sort of a dry sort of intense process, you can actually have a lot of fun while you're doing it, you know, and, and there was this uh, beautiful campaigner, uh, Nan Nicholson, and she her campaign days went right back to Trani Creek, and she used to always say, um, the only blockades that I regret are the ones I didn't go to, you know, and that, um, that troublemaking is a, is a great source of joy. So you've really been running um, your impact impact campaign on a, on a shoestring, a very grassroots campaign. Can you tell us a bit of, um, about the response to the campaign and how communities are using the film? Yeah. Yeah, look, um, I mean, I've been just thrilled with the, the response the film's been getting. Um, I've, had, um, I've had these quite conservative people come up to me afterwards and, and just give me a big hug and say, you've activated me, I'm now, I'm now active, you know. And, like, for a filmmaker, there's, you, can't, you can't really top that. So... Um, you know, and like you were saying before, I mean, because, um, you know, because of what it is, you know, um, groups are, are latching onto it and they're, they're using it as a community building tool. Um, you know, they're galvanising a group. They're sort of, um, you know, on quite a few instances, we've had um, screenings where groups have just begun, like straight after the, um, after the screening, you know, and they've sort of um, got people to put up their hands and say, who wants to form an action group, you know, and they, they get really inspired to act. So... Um, those stories just sort of keep coming and, and yeah, that's a, that's a tremendous thrill. But, like, in terms of our strategy, I mean, we're really lucky because, um, you know, we, there was already a well-established movement and a, and a ready-made audience. So, you know, I think there's something like 480 gas-fill-free communities in, just in Australia. There's, um, you know, you've got all the green groups with massive memberships, Lock the Gates and Wilderness Society. Um, and I think there's at least 300 dedicated action groups so all of them were were really sort of hungering for you know something to top top their tanks up I suppose you know and um you know and, and to and to sort of share in this sort of success so um so yeah we've, we've sort of gone berserk with community screenings and it's worked really well and it sort of fits the the whole gasoline free model really um yeah, no, it's, it's been really good. I mean, even today, um, there's a... I think it was two years ago, um, Victoria introduced the ban on, on fracking. Uh, go, you Vicks. And, uh, and so we're having a, a screening over at Barnsdale, which is over sort of East Gibsland. And, it, and the guy at the... The organiser just rang me and said, it's, um, it's sold out. Can you put something on your, on your website? Which is, which is awesome. It's only a little community, but we sold a cinema out, 180 tickets or something. So, yeah, no, I'm absolutely chuffed. 
Is yeah. that the only state that's banned fracking now? Yeah, I think there's, there's been moratoriums, but Victoria actually went ahead with the, the full ban. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so. No. <laughs> no, that's a myth. You have, you have to watch the film. <laughs> yeah. And so um, you also mentioned to me when we were talking about this some of the partnerships that you had, one in particular with I think it was an organisation called Anova, Australia's first renewable energy company. Did you want to yeah. mention that? Yeah, so um, I guess that was, that was one of the big learnings. I mean, it was, it was a bit tricky for me because I was coming off the back of um, Fragman, you know, um, Toddy's film. So we, we basically started filming at the same time. Um, we had a sort of very parallel sort of journey, but um, yeah, Toddy, Toddy got in just before I could sort of apply for funding. So he, he kind of scooped the pool, which meant that we were sort of um, forced to look at other avenues and obviously crowdfunding and philanthropy were the obvious ones. Um, and so we, you know, we kicked off our campaign with a crowdfunding campaign, which also built the, the audience. And um, I think we got about 50 grand out of that to get us going. But I think the big learning was really the, the partnerships. You know, to finish the film, we partnered with a, a wonderful mob called Anova Energy. And they're, they're actually Australia's first community-owned renewable energy company, mm-hmm. retailer. Um, and the beautiful thing about that was that, you know, not only were they... Um, conceived at the camp in Bentley by some very clever people. Um, you know, they, they actually got over the line as a company on the same day that the licences were revoked. So there's a really nice sort of a synergy and we could, we could sort of, you know, go to screenings and spruik them and hand out postcards and sort of, you know, um, say a big no to this and a big yes to this, the, you know, the alternative. So, um, so that, that works really well. And, and, and so what they did was just ask their members to... To support us, you know, and um, so I think that was, yeah, that was that was a major learning. Sort of thinking about, you know, those sort of thinking laterally about those partnerships, mm. um, but also when I think about it now, in retrospect, I probably would have, if I had my time again, I probably would have um, got the first, at least the first ten or twenty grand of that fifty grand, and just flicked it to a to an impact producer and said, can you go and start building those partnerships now, you know, and, and building up all that capacity and, and start, you know, just seeing how other ways that we, we can support the project. So, um, and there's some good ones. Um, in fact, we've got two just here. <laughs> good segue. Yeah. Okay. But, yes. um, yeah. Yeah. So, actually, Alex, you um, screened the Bentley Effect at a film festival that you run in Alice Springs, didn't mm. you? Yeah, and it was just perfect timing for the community because there's a stay on fracking in the NT, but um, they're they're kind of doing a big review about what they're going to do, and so it was perfect timing. It won the Audience Award as well, so we were stoked to have it at the festival. Mm. And so I guess what are your plans uh, for the film now? I I would imagine there'd be a lot of demand for it in the Northern Territory, given what Alex has just said. Yeah, yeah, we, we keep getting, um, like, screening requests. Um, you know, there's still a lot of outreach to do. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I think my next job is to actually find a broadcaster and an and a international sales agent. Mm-hmm. So if there's anyone out there, I don't know if you want to come <laughs> have a chat. But, um, but yeah, no, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's still, still a heap of you work. You did a do. huge tour around the UK and around New Zealand, connecting with yeah. communities there as well. It's not just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really good, actually. Um, you know, particularly those, those areas that have sort of got their, their backs against the wall, they really responded really well. And um, I quite like to do a tour around the US, um, actually sort of replicate the same sort of thing we did in New Zealand and the UK, because um, people tell me that we, we actually changed the whole energy of the campaign they're starting to quote from the film and all that sort of stuff so yeah it's really good that's yeah. great yeah. Just talking on other countries and international i'm just <laughs> going to expand thank you brendan thanks um expand the com- conversation out internationally so alex uh, you've you've been traveling a bit lately and actually both you and mal melinda were at the um global impact producers forum at idfa and i know there was um, a lot of discussion there, and I just wanted to throw to you to ask your opinion about um, that experience and 
where you think the conversation's at. Um, what, what are we doing well in this space, I guess, to start with? I sort of broke it down into a few things I thought I might yeah, touch on. And um, the first is, is kind of around this idea of like the literacy of change. And it's great to speak after Brendan because in a way the Bentley effect is one of those rare films where you actually get to learn a bit about how change happens because actually I think we're actually quite illiterate about it. We have certain ideas about petitions or protest or policy or think tanks maybe a cursory understanding of how parliament works but we don't really get into the meat of like how does this stuff actually happen and I feel like the impact space um I kind of don't even like the term impact it feels like it's come a little bit too much out of kind of the business world of thinking about social impact bonds or impact investing etc but I'm thrilled that the term was coined and that we now have a way of talking about this practice and you know five years ago at AIDC there'd be one small room in the basement at the Hilton where a few of us would talk about social justice films and now we're in a big theatre so this is fantastic and I feel like now that we've defined what impact is and this is sort of what I felt like was happening at the forum in Amsterdam there's been a few years of defining, okay, what is it? And broadcasters and distributors and sales agents and funders going, where does this fit in a budget line? What is an impact producer, etc.? And we've kind of bedded that down. And so now I feel like we're getting to this, the deeper questions where we're starting to go, okay, so if we know what it is, how do we do this? Like, what is this work? How do you make change? And we can start, to, I think we really need to ask some really deep questions and do a lot of learning around that question. And, and it raises a lot of kind of ethical questions, I think, um, in terms of how we decide to do that going forward. And I used to talk a lot about, um, when I was talking about change making, you know, the fantastic messiness of it and the ultimate complete unknowability of the perfect template for how you make change is actually also the complete freedom of it because you know get up are trying to figure it out the australia institute are trying to figure it out health messages quit smoking don't put your seatbelt on you know where do put your seatbelt on you know, sexual health messaging, filmmakers, everybody is in this kind of ongoing struggle of if we did a comic book, if we did this, if the film was like that, if we did an ad that did this, everybody's always trying to figure out how do you make people do things? Advertisers are trying to figure out how to make us buy things. And the fact that there is no ultimate answer is the freedom for particularly low-budget shoestring culture makers because, you know, we can actually somehow, despite all these other big in institutions that have a lot more uh, resource to ask that question, we can also somehow have these amazing moments where we cut through. But I think that we are entering into a moment where that is going to be really different and this is kind of the era of the algorithm and I think considering when we start to and it's only just starting to come um, into our kind of consciousness the power of the Facebook algorithm in terms of um, where people get a news from and also the really sinister stuff that Facebook are doing in terms of behavioral tracking of um, Facebook users and choosing how the algorithm responds to you accordingly. I know, don't know if people have seen the research of Facebook realizing that they could target the moments that teenagers were very depressed and pick the kinds of advertising that they would give to them at those moments or that um, you're, the kinds of moods of the work, of the kind of posts that you, that you make will be affected by the algorithm and the kinds of moods in the content that you're seeing. And those algorithms are highly private. We don't know much about how they're being used. But, you know, Prash mentioned this morning, I think it's 17.9 billion people are now using Facebook. So when we think about the war on waste, with all due respect, using Facebook as the platform to get communities to organise around waste use, that on one hand, it's like, of course we'd use Facebook, that's what everyone does. But actually, I think we're opening up, we need to open up much bigger questions about how and where we organise and look at the way that surveillance and particularly psychological surveillance is um, playing out with the bigger companies online because it raises questions about how is it that we want to make audiences do things and like 
if we could make the perfect algorithm to make people stop, you know, um, throwing away waste, is that ethical? Is it okay to manipulate audiences to do things? And there's some really big questions that I think that we really um, need to dig into there. Um, the next point that I kind of wanted to raise is, it's kind of about the fact that I think that we need to be much bolder than we are. And part of, as, as filmmakers, and you know, a lot of the things I just wanted to raise are things that have been really circling around in my head lately and I've been kind of really challenging myself on. And, you know, with, again, with due respect to AIDC, but if we look around, this is a pretty white sector than the documentary scene in, in Australia. And, and it's quite conservative and it's quite privileged to be able to be in this space. And so sometimes when you're making a, a, a progressive or a, a campaigning or a social justice film, the people that you interact with in terms of funders and broadcasters and philanthropists and partners are sometimes more conservative than you. So you already feel like you're doing something quite radical because you're trying to pull that crowd with you. But actually, I think when we zoom out of our sector and look at kind of geopolitics at large, you know, the world is in crisis on so many levels that we actually are required to be much bolder than we're being. So I, I sort of feel like this sector is emerging, we're articulating what we're doing, but I feel like we need to go much, much, much further than we, than we already are. And to that end, and it sort of feeds back into the, the question of literacy, but we should really be paying attention to, to other sectors and other activists and other organisers because this is new to the film space and there's particular nuances of how you map you know, a social justice campaign across film distribution and how you deal with bringing your funders or explaining, um, you know, jumping through different ideas around holdbacks and partnerships and grassroots screenings and all that that's particular to film. But there are centuries of work about organising tactics and how, you know, grassroots campaigns can be run and there's lots and lots of people that are really deep in that space and I think that those of us that are working in impact need to pay a lot more attention to that. And also, even in the documentary space, and it's, I'm really pleased that, you know, Brendan's on this panel as well, but, you know, in, there's some films, and it's utterly brilliant that Good Pitch have created the ripples and the splash that they have, but that's only 19 films that we know about, that we see the profile of, but there's heaps of other filmmakers out there I can see Heather, who made Mary Meets Muhammad here, who I think has pioneered one of the best uh, distribution strategies in Australia when she rolled that film out. And, you know, so it's really that thing of, like, learning from each other, sharing that these really deep questions about how change happens, diversifying who's in the room and, and being bolder. So that's my kind of overview of where I think we're at. <laughs> <laughs> Melinda, thank you, Alex, that was awesome. Um, Melinda, do you have any um, thoughts that you want to add to that yeah, conversation? I mean, I totally agree with you. The collaboration between campaigners who know how change works and how hard it is um, is such an essential ingredient um, mm. for that we don't have to do this alone. We can lean heavily on some of the experience in the field around um, how to run campaigns, um, especially if your film is geared that way. But the, um, I think the cool thing that's actually happening, and it's also a challenge and responsibility at the same time, but um, it's the way that basically um, the documentary is now kind of at the front line of protecting media and um, democracy um, across many contexts in the world. And you see um, documentary filmmakers kind of rising to that challenge and making incredible work um, responding to um, some of these like crises um, across... Um, different um, parts of the globe using um, different ways of um, telling those stories. And the, um, the way that, um, you know, you see that kind of confidence in the um, being shown in the, um, um, in the uh, major festivals as well, whereas the documentary used to be like the poor cousin of the feature films. Um, but now documentary filmmakers are much more the heroes. Um, which I'm really enjoying um, seeing and getting the same the profile they deserve for all the incredible hard work that they're doing. Um, 
I guess um, the other, um, I've got the privilege of sitting on a panel around uh, or a roundtable around investigative journalism in Australia too. And it's, I think we actually need to start collaborating with other um, groups who are facing similar um, challenges to their capacity to have freedom of speech um, and to start um, sharing strategies to protect that freedom. Um, so journalists for sure, documentary filmmakers, we're, we're coming up against the same challenges, but also to, um, to really collaborate with the campaigners, the NGOs who are all... I mean, in recent days, facing the, the gag bill that um, the government has proposed, we really need to be arm in arm and um, seeing not only um, the, the challenges that those particular groups are facing, but actually seeing it as um, them coming for us too um, in our sector and the repercussions that they will have um, across every single field of endeavour that's trying to engage in truth-telling. So um, I think that's the, the big you know, um, challenge that we face. Um, it's also um, means that we'll be, we, we can rise to that. We've got storytelling as our advantage. It's a very persuasive and wonderful medium to be coming from in terms of connecting hearts and minds. Um, it also serves us as a convening tool to tell and investigate um, stories like the, the War and Waste is a great example of how you can tell um, like a story of a, a community, tri many communities, um, and very complicated messages across a longer format um, and giving insights and, and cause for action. We can do that in so many, um, in so many issue areas. So, um, yeah, I think we, documentaries are hot right now and um, we should embrace that and, um, and trust in the medium and, uh, and really support each other in the endeavour. Thank you. So we've got about um, 12 and a half minutes for questions. Um, I haven't seen any come through on the app, but maybe that's just me not being able to work this. But I think there's a microphone running around, so perhaps if you could put up your hand if you have any questions for the panel. There's just one up, one up here. Oh, it's okay. Someone's running up to you. Hey, um, so you guys had mentioned um, for some of your films having inbuilt audience or already um, from maybe campaigns that already existed. I was wondering more about any experiences any of you have had um, with audiences that were would have been against your campaigns beforehand and like any films that have really changed minds in any particular circumstances that have stood out to any of you? Any of you want to take that question? No. I mean, I mean, I, I could talk about a, a, a campaigning series I worked on before I was at the ABC as, as a filmmaker. I made one called "Watch the Catch" for SBS, which is all about seafood labelling, and that was actually, um, you know, we had to get fishermen over the line with um, with persuading them that we should know what our seafood is and where it's from and how it was caught. So that, you know, that initially we met with some resistance in that community and we actually sh explained that if you empower consumers with knowledge then they'll make the right decisions and that will reward fishermen who are making the right doing things the right way so that's just a personal example as a filmmaker i i had making a show that also had an impact campaign a few years ago for for sbs so that's a personal experience i mean with war and waste as i said you know there's not many people that just don't agree so it was more about how can we improve things rather than meeting with people who didn't want to improve things, really? So, um, so it was a bit different in that regard. I don't know, Alex, do you have in some of your work? I mean, you did the Naomi Klein. This yeah. changes everything. We film. weren't, on that project, we weren't targeting. I mean, it's an it comes up a lot as a question of um, around, oh, aren't you just preaching to the converted? And I guess um, my answer is a bit of a bad extension of the metaphor of like okay the choir in my opinion the choir are not even singing in harmony yet so actually there's no harm in preaching to the people we're calling converted because it's like Brendan said he got a he feels a theatre with people who are converted as anti-fracking but they're not working together yet so they form an action group after a screening so sometimes I think actually working with your natural audience you'll be surprised that 
the people who would turn out because they care about the film don't even know each other yet. So I still actually think we've got quite... This idea of the converted is... it. Yeah, there is a converted, but I don't think that they're organised enough. So I tend to say, yeah, get the choir singing together better and then they can sing louder and then they'll bring other people into it. Well, yeah, um, I could probably add to that as well. The, um, I, th- I would say if there's one key thing about the campaign, like you say, it was that grouping up aspect of it. Um, you know, amazing things happen when people come together as a community and particularly if you can sit them in a dark room and, and give them a, a shared journey, you know, and, and suddenly, you know, all that powerlessness and hopelessness that the industry and their political supporters will have you feel um, dissipates, you know, because you realise that actually you feel the same way as you and you and me and, you know, and so people start sort of sharing all that collective intelligence and, and amazing things happen. So... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that was sort of key. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't let that stop you. But um, you know, I mean, I, we were prepared for a bit of pushback, though. And um, I mean, I must admit, I was hiding hard drives all over the region, and you know, doing these sort of crazy things. I, I but in the end, we didn't get any. Um, we haven't had anything come back. Um, and I guess because we were just trying to sort of share a, a very honest portrayal of the protective movement, I suppose, you know, what, what are they going to say? You know, you, you shouldn't be protecting your land and water. And, mm. You know what I mean? And, and maybe, maybe they're going with the old um, ignore it and it'll go away tactic, but fortunately it hasn't. <laughs> I don't know. Another question just in the third row there. Fourth. Is this working? I'm seeing a lot of um, social impact projects based around the web interactive and virtual reality space. I'm just curious to hear whether this is on any of your radars and what your thoughts are around that. I I think you can apply this to anything. You know, it's increasingly there's pressure on on a lot of academics to think about impact producing their academic work. Again, caveats on the word but yeah I think it's it's there's a huge body of work in theatre and community cultural development that's been doing this for a lot longer than film as well so and yeah I think there's a lot coming up I think Ingrid Kopp can probably speak to some of the standouts in the VR space but it's it's the tactics are applicable Mm. in across the spectrum. When we fund some of our projects, um, the feature doc is obviously at the centre of the work, what we celebrate from our particular perspective. Um, But there has been investments in aligned work as well. Um, And I know there's one film project that we're working on that is looking at having podcasts and VR, etc., to extend the life and the audience of that particular film. Um, So, yeah, I think it it definitely has a role to play in changing minds and shifting things. Other questions? It's just up the back here to, on the right. Thanks. Hi, my name is Violeta Ayala. And first I would like to thank you, Alex, for talking about the diversity of this room and AIDC and calling them out. I also like to call them out. I think change is happening, but it's too slowly. And I think that what you said about I think it's important for everyone to understand that impact is new to film and new to white filmmakers, but it's not new to us. I was, my mere existence is political. I am an indigenous woman. I survived genocide like the 3% of this country. And I think it's important to understand that the biggest organizers of Australia are the Aboriginal people. They can teach all of us. And we are in a very, very incredible moment, very dangerous to, and I'd like, like all of you to talk a little bit more about what you're going to do to open those spaces to people of color in a real way, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? What's next? I think we all, we each have a responsibility to do that. We all occupy different um, positions in the industry where um, as funders, commissioners, etc. Um, and or even as directors and collaborators, I think we can bring um, people with us um, and support their endeavours and their projects. It's really important that we, um, we build a community of practice um, that's an inclusive one. Um, and certainly from an Australian perspective, 
if we are to um, shift the dial on a whole bunch of the issues at large, then we need new voices at the table who are speaking their truth. Um, otherwise, it's going to be the same old narrative um, over and over again and nothing will change. So um, as much as we can, I'm totally committed to um, an inclusive um, funding arrangement for Shark Island. Did you want to make a comment on behalf of the ABC? Yeah, Stephen? I mean, I, I think it's a really good point, totally valid, and, uh, you know, it is absolutely um, on the agenda of how we actually keep making progress. Uh, there is progress being made. I'll just give a small example of a, another project that I'm working on that's an impact project at the ABC. It's uh, called Don't Stop the Music, and it's about getting musical instruments into um, underprivileged schools, or schools in general, but in particular underprivileged areas, because... Uh, the sci- latest science behind learning a musical instrument is shows that it's the one activity that connects the left and the right brain and actually improves kids' literacy, numeracy, and crucially, communication and social skills and general well-being. So, if with this campaign, which is you know it's like a big TV show, it's going to be another multi-platform offering on the ABC, a pan ABC initiative, but. It's a school with a much higher level of indigenous kids than um, a lot of schools in in you know inner city Melbourne and Sydney. It's in remote area of um, WA of, of Perth, of a, a suburb of Perth, and uh, I've seen some footage already of you know young indigenous kids learning to play a musical instrument, and as a result. Um, you know, you can just see the change happening there, much, becoming more confident, better able to communicate um, with their peers, with their teachers. So, it, you know, I think thinking about kids and actually how do we actually create a better future, that's a small example that's going to be a feel-good show, hopefully, that actually will have a genuine positive impact for, um, for everyone and including and especially um, Indigenous kids as they grow older. Alex, thanks, Stephen. Sure. I mean, I think it, it. I mean, I think firstly that you're completely right in terms of who to look to for inspiration and organising. Like, talk about amazing organising under 200x years of bloody pressure. But and also in the film space. I mean, you look at the power that or cultural space that Indigenous music, film, and theatre has had in shifting narratives in Australia. Um, but I think partly what we're talking about is, and we never talk about it, is power. And it's kind of what I was trying to get at when talking about the literacy of thinking about change is learning how to name power, how power works in society, the power that we have, how we use our own power and those sort of things. And I don't know if it's a particularly Australian thing, but it's something that we don't necessarily name. And then it means that we have murky conversations around the sides of things because we're not just naming it. And... So, I mean, there's lots of ways that I can think, talk about my own practice, but I think I'm increasingly trying to figure out both how to share power in, and, you, and share my networks and knowledge with other people, but also I'm trying to work out when to be quiet and when to step aside and when to open that space. And that's really hard learning because, you know, when you're in... And this is partly about this thing of, like, who are you around? When you're... When you're an independent filmmaker that feels like you don't get many opportunities, even though I'm a white filmmaker who probably does get quite a lot of opportunities, it's not a natural instinct to go, I'm not going to take that, I'm going to step aside. And so I think that's also part of a conversation we need to have with each other, that we talk about power and how to share power so we can get better at it rather than it... Rather than it being performative, like, look at me, I'm being a good ally, but just actually, like, how do we do this? Because we've got to transform a lot of things, you know? I think we've got time for one more question. Um, okay, uh, there's... Yeah. Um, my question's to Stephen. I think War on Waste was wonderful in creating awareness. I've been working in the waste space since 2012. My name's Alana Rubenstein and I'm from Planet Earth. I am working in the battery space and also in the single-use plastic space. I've just been working with the Victorian Police on keeping four million breathalyser straws out of landfill. My question to you is on the disposable cups and also on your opening statement with regard to we all throw our rubbish out. Personally, I've put my bin out six times in the last six years. I repurpose all my waste and I'm very careful with what I purchase. But I'm unusual and different. My question is on the disposable cups issue. I think what you did was fantastic, so I'm reaffirming that. 
but disposable cups are recyclable. Um, a plastic lining on a disposable cup is m far less in terms of ratio than an ordinary milk carton that has a higher plastic content. The issue with disposable cups has been that their shape so size may not be an issue and shape shouldn't be either. So the shape was the issue along with infrastructure for collection, along with many other issues. It's a very simple problem and I'd love to see that your next series deals with correcting the misnomer that disposable cups are not recyclable because they all are. Okay. And thank Sorry, you. Quick response from Steve. Yeah, no, it's, it's a complicated issue and thank you and great that you're so involved and active in the space. We need more people like you, that's great. Uh, in Ep 4 of War and Waste, you might have seen that we um, met the guy who was showing how you can recycle them. And the, uh, so the, the problem is not that they can't be... The problem is, I mean, there hasn't been an industrial-level uh, ability to recycle them successfully yet. That is, people are working on that. I think Warren Waste has been part of that. So um, we're making a new series. We're going to do some follow-up. So um, I'd be happy to put you in touch with the producers because they are working very hard on um, on how we can move forward in that space. But thank you for your question. Thank you. Comment. We're actually out of time now. Um, so thanks, thanks very much. And if you could thank our panellists. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.